You're listening to the She Lift Project podcast, a show dedicated to helping women achieve higher levels of success in the workplace. No matter where you are in your career, we want to help you grow. Now here's your host, Cynthia Kirkpatrick, a CPA, CFP, and Senior Financial Advisor at Mineta Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. I'm Cynthia Kirkpatrick and happy to have everyone with us today and really excited to welcome you, Whitney Kenter, here. You're currently founder, uh, business extraordinaire, but founder of Glow Connective. And for those who want to know, it's been in the business a couple years now, but they're really, you consult with other businesses and it's all about the culture, synergy, um, helping address challenges and issues inside the company for them to be the best versions of themselves. So as you often write, the human energy yes. aspect of things. But coming off of many decades of various uh, different careers, industries all over the place. So it'll be interesting to hear what you're at today, how those all added up and um, what you've learned. But anyway, Thank you for coming today. Happy to have you. You're welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Anything on Glow Connective, and that's G-L-O-W-E. Yes. Connective, that would be better than what I just threw together there. No, I think you did a great job. No, I mean, I think that the premise around Glow was and still is that businesses just need to be reimagined. How we do business is really important if we're going to really support the human energy in our businesses because that's really what makes our business tick, right? We don't you don't have a business if you don't have humans. And I think a lot of things have just happened even before COVID that is making leaders need to reimagine how they're really doing things and I think that um, we're here to usher in that new way and work with those leaders who want to make make the big change. Because you started, this was founded June, July of 2020? Yes. So right in the middle. <laughs> how did that come about? And what what did you face? Was that a, a maybe a perfect opportunity to launch a business like that? Or what were the challenges? How did it come about? I guess it depends on who you ask. Um, but you're asking me. So I would say, you know, for me, it, the timing was not... Um, didn't have anything to do with COVID because I had started really inventing Glow in 2018 and 2019. So in the beginning of 2020, in January and February of 2020, I was already preparing my partners for my exit. And so um, unfortunately, the timing of COVID starting in March only made me pause with Glow because um, at that company that I was in before, I was in charge of people and culture and a lot of things that were really necessary um, right at that moment. So um, my my uh, graceful exit was a little bit longer than expected because I just didn't feel good about leaving in you know during those critical times. So, but you know, Glow was started you know in the yes in the middle of COVID, but there were still a lot of people that were kind of looking around saying, we don't know really how to handle this culturally. You know, after you got through the initial, everyone's working from home, we got the logistics figured out and the structure figured out. I think there were a lot of people still questioning, but how do we stay connected virtually? And, you know, it was still early days, but, um, and that wasn't the reason for founding Glow because of COVID, but it was definitely, I think, an accelerant to Glow's growth right out of the gate. So maybe hindsight looking back, a positive? That yeah, oh, for that sure. Time? 
Yes, I think it was a positive. I think it was harder. It seemed like it was going to be harder over Zoom because we were, you know, beginning clients that were remote, but so many of our clients were outside of St. Louis anyway. And so we were we were Zoom no matter what. And so it didn't really end up mattering in the end. So it's interesting that you said prior to that it was you were at Matter Family Office, yes. which is similar to what Yes. Uh, when I met you, my husband introduced us that you two have to meet. And I looked at your LinkedIn page and I was surprised with how and I'm not starting another business, although I guess the Shelif project is sort of like yeah. that. But how our paths yes. were very similar. Yes. So and I thought, how does she start glow? And how do you wh- where do you go with the human energy? Yeah, but you were doing that at matter family office, which is a financial planning, you know, uh, yep. whole taking care of people's total financial lives. Yep. It it seems like, you know, when people look at my LinkedIn, I get that a lot. Like, wow, this seems like a really big departure from what you've been doing. And I had another several other people say, it seems like you left at the height of your career to go start something completely different. I said, well, that I understand how that could be the perception, but it actually is not. So to back up one minute, um, even when I was at KPMG in public accounting, I was still in the personal financial planning group. So still working with ultra high net worth individuals, first generation wealth creators. And I found myself even in those early days talking to people about, you know, what's this all about? I mean, yes, we're going to talk about the money that you're creating and, you know, your stock options and your planning and all of that. But I was getting much more pulled into conversations about the qualitative aspects of their life and wealth and what this means for their family. And so that's kind of what took me down this rabbit hole, because in my 20s, I don't really know anything about this. I didn't study. I I studied psychology a little bit, but I didn't study it specifically with this in mind. And so, um, so went down the rabbit hole of figuring out, oh my gosh, family dynamics, family systems is a, is a whole thing. And so started meeting with some of the, you know, founding fathers of this work. And then I went to Bank of America and Merrill all with this idea that I, well, I left public accounting because I didn't want to bill hourly for this work. And then I went to the big banks and, um, it was a different model, obviously, but you still had to sell the clients your AUM services in order to do this work, which at the time I thought was fine. And um, and so just became, I guess, an expert, but also really passionate about this qualitative work with trust, communication, culture, that being as important as the wealth planning that we were doing. And the, you know, the investments and all the more traditional things. And so at one point, um, when I was at Merrill, I I realized that a a study had come out about, you know, 90% of families will fall apart in three generations. And that just seemed unacceptable. And it had been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years globally, not just a U.S. thing. And so the study went further to say, let's look into why, which I thought, great. That's good. That's one first step in, in solving a problem is figuring out why it's happening. 
And 95% of the reason why it was happening had nothing to do with all the things that our industry focuses on. So it does, didn't have anything to do with estate taxes, income taxes, bad investments, or you know, an estate plan gone wrong or divorce or something. None of it. 95% of the reason was lack of trust, lack of communication, and lack of preparation of the next generation. And so I thought, how crazy is that, that our whole industry is focused on 5% of the problem and not the other 95? And so I wanted to build something that was as focused on the 95 as it was the 5. And so at Matter, we used to call it the 100%. So that's what I did at Matter was we created a business, a family office business that was as focused on all the pieces that families needed to be successful over generations as possible. So that whole element of systems theory and the psychology of wealth and the generational differences, it's very similar to what we're doing in businesses. We're just doing it with a different system. So it's not as far of a departure. I'm just taking a lot of the work that we did with families and applying it to businesses. But it's obviously more complicated because it's for profit and, you know, big goals and things. But it does tie very much back to the heads of our families. We would talk a lot about, you know, their legacy, not a financial legacy that they want to leave, but you know, what's important to them and how do they want to be known and things like that. And I think that the CEOs that we're working with are also thinking about that. They're they're in this seat and they, you know, they're not in the seat forever, but they're in the seat for a long period of time. And they do want to have, they want to leave their mark on their company or on the industry that they're in. And so I think there's just so much tie between the work that I've been doing and the work that we're doing now. I hope that helps. It does. So, you mentioned all of your KPMG, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and then Matter Family Office. Yep. How did that come to fruition? Were you a part of building that brand company yes. provider? So um, I was debating about starting something on my own after Merrill got bought by Bank of America. I was like, huh, that seems like I'd be going backwards. And so it just made me think about this a little bit more deeply on what would I want to build and how would I want it, how would I want to build it? And I knew that I didn't want to build it within a big bureaucratic, bureaucratic, you know, environment. It was going to be too hard to push that. And so, um, so I started visiting with some of my mentors and explaining to them what I was really passionate about. And one of my mentors introduced me to one of my, who became one of my partners, and she had had a firm for a while. It was a fee-only financial planning firm, and they were really evolving into a family office. We didn't really have that term, multifamily office, kind of at that time. But, um, and we met and shared what we felt the future was and it would just seemed like a really great connection and so I was like great we could do this together as opposed to starting over and at the time having three kids all under the age of five it seemed like a better idea to do it with someone than to do it on my own and um so yeah so we took her for her firm and we morphed it into matter and rebranded it matter and ended up opening offices in Denver and Dallas and became nationally recognized for this work of solving the 100% is what we called it. And um, yeah, and it was fantastic. It is interesting. I do think a lot of what we do is 
more the psychology and therapist. We have a lot of yes. clients who will come in and say, you're really a therapist today. Yeah. And that's honestly the part I really enjoy yeah. is seeing the difference in that moment of helping them personally. But when you think of transitioning taxes, estate, yes. all that to the 100%, yep. how did you do that? Or what what was different where you were able to get to the whole 100%? Yeah. So we started um, all of our relationships by really understanding the parents, the eldest generation, and what they were all about. What do they stand for? What's their purpose? You know, things like that, which those, that word purpose, like, is, I feel like it's a very heavy word. It just seems like a really hard thing. So we didn't ever say, so tell us your purpose. And they would, you know, spit something out. It was an iterative process. But we basically started with, you know, getting the foundation of who they are, what they want for their family, you know, how they want the interactions to be and we just kind of laid a good foundation because if you think about it the estate planning the income tax and the investments it's it would be more clear if you had a better understanding of those things i mean you can do it without it for sure most a lot of people do but it's so much more powerful when it's anchored in something because then it's almost like that vision and purpose and values it becomes your decision making framework for the different decisions that you end up making. And so by starting with that and then using that information to create the plan, and then you work the plan and then you come back to it. And then as kids get older, kids have kids, you know, things like that, you just keep coming back to the same thing. So you just create that that cycle. And I think it's easier said than done, obviously, because I think that you tap into all kinds of things that, you know, maybe wouldn't come up normally in a wealth management conversation or fears or, you know, different things like that. But I think that it is a very powerful combination. And then along the way, you can be their guide when things go awry. And I always used to say, communication is the hardest part. And we're seeing it, obviously, in business, too. I'm sure you see it in your business as well. Communication is really tricky. And when it's not really clear and when it's not done, sometimes we communicate with, we feel like we're trying to keep people safe by not telling them everything or whatever, and that ends up kind of backfiring. But within families, it be, it's really hard because of the dynamics between the generations because you've got mom and dad who are held to a certain you know standard and it's kind of you've been told by them what to do and i think so many of the families that i worked with were ready to kind of become part of the family not the head of the family i mean technically they still were but they wanted to be more inclusive of conversations and decisions and things like that and that can be really that can be really tricky and so um i always used to say that you know this work doesn't happen in one or two family meetings a year it happens in the communication in the day-to-day and you know best intentions can really blow things up and when you just help bring people back to that center it's really a beautiful thing which is very, very, very similar to the work that we're doing at Glow. I was, you read my mind because I'm thinking, you know, like you said, with what we do, you can put a cookie cutter estate plan together or whatever to solve problems. 
But if one person's more keyed in on, I really want to leave a legacy and somebody, or and maybe somebody's, we want to leave a lot to charity and somebody else's, we don't care. We want to live our lives and go have some fun. Those yeah. are totally different plans yeah. uh, for each of those. So yeah. to get to what makes them tick, what excites them, what do they want to do and accomplish, yeah. you can't, in my mind, you can't put together a successful yeah. plan without having those upfront yeah. conversations. But I think, as you mentioned, bringing it to the next generations is difficult and challenging yeah. on so many different levels. Right. When do you tell them? How do you tell them? I mean... What do you include? The numbers, you, not the numbers. You know, it's one thing that if, um, you know, there's a lot of amazing people that want to leave significant amounts to charity, and that's fine. That being said, how does it feel for the kids? And how do you tell them that? And, you know, I had met with, a, it's, it wasn't a client, but I had met with a woman a long time ago, and she had just recently lost both her parents and she was an adult mid thirties crushing it in her career. And she had just gotten the call saying, Hey, congratulations. You're now the, the head of your family foundation where all your, you know, your family's assets went. And she was devastated, not because she wanted the money, but she was very confused and now she was asked to have another full-time job when she was building a business of her own. And so, again, if you back that up and you think about, you know, what could the communication have been earlier to, you know, pave the way so that it wasn't that shock, you know, when the time did come to have that conversation. And it wasn't, and her parents weren't really young and it was a sudden thing. Her parents were elderly and so I mean it was it was kind of it wasn't like an unexpected totally unexpected thing and so um but the but the communication was unexpected and the structure was unexpected and so I just always had that in mind when I was thinking through you know how are the kids going to feel how are the kids going to feel and how are we going to communicate that and when are we going to communicate that and it's tricky because also people change their mind as they get older so just and the, have to be I, careful. Yeah, I often feel when something happens, somebody passes away or there's a divorce or there's a big life event, the emotion swirling that is difficult enough. Yeah. And then to layer in that surprise call or yes. now we need to do this or who's that's getting involved and what's going on. It's so much overwhelm yeah. that to a certain degree and whatever works for the family that you can kind of layer some of that out ahead of time yeah. helps with all of the emotions. Because yeah. the goal would be focus on your family, focus on what's going on, yeah. not being shocked and surprised with exactly. everything else over here. And I think understanding why, you know, I mean, I think that's a big piece for building trust and communication, understanding why decisions get made is, is as important as the decision that got made. Which again, uh, I just keep seeing all the signs are pointing to what she's doing now. This totally makes sense <laughs> Good, now. Good, I'm glad it makes sense to you. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back again, thinking, yeah. accounting, all of that. Yeah. I'm like, how did she get to where? Well, I mean, thinking about that, where you're at today, and I think about where I'm at today, I'm like, oh my gosh, as a kid, this is exactly what I should have been doing. My older sister used to borrow money, leave IOUs. I had all my money for my waitressing job, like lined up perfectly. I loved, of course it makes sense what I'm doing now. Yeah. Looking back, does 
do you see signs or that, yes, all along the way it was pointing me to this, I was always going to be doing this, I'm where I belong, or I don't know how I got to this, it just worked out? I feel like there's definitely elements of it. You know, if I was looking back, would I have seen being in this, you know, in this role? No, but I think at every step along the way, I've always been a bit of a disruptor, wanting to do things differently, not accepting the status quo. Um, I was always very interested in psychology and most recently neuroscience. And, you know, there's a huge aspect of my personal um, spiritual journey and transformation of self that also plays into this as well. So looking back, it all makes sense because it feels like it's this big buildup to this big event, you know, the big event of starting GLOW um, because it it's what I want for other leaders. I want other leaders to understand that we're not going to be able to do things the way things have been done. We need to evolve and change and that they can lead in a way that doesn't burn them out and doesn't make them sick and doesn't, you know, keep them on a hamster wheel that they don't even know why they're on anymore. They can they can have joy and love and, you know, happiness at the same time as they're leading and growing and building whatever it is that they're doing. So that's a huge thing for me. So you're saying people can have it all. Yes. And, and you have the keys. Yes. <laughs> you and your group have the keys to make it happen. Absolutely. It's it some some things that you wrote and I saw on your website. I'm trying to find where all of my notes are. But uh, you mentioned here, live your, well, and even your LinkedIn posts, which I love, by the way. Oh, thanks. You have just a couple short words and then all the space. And then you have to click in to see more. But your pictures, the words you choose, there were a few that you wrote recently. I think you had your arms up and it said, live your purpose. Yeah. Which at first I'm like, what did she write that on? How'd she yeah. get that off? Did she clean that? That's just the mom and me. Uh, live your purpose. And I, another one that I really loved was, I now meet resistance with curiosity. Mm -hmm. I love that quote. I think just curiosity in general is so interesting. And I would imagine that's 100% of what Glow Connected does when they go into a company trying to just curious, asking a lot of questions, yes. trying to figure it out. Yep. You got it. That's, and maybe that's even our secret sauce. Help the leaders yeah. be more curious too. Right. I do think that's part of the glow effect. You know, we go in not because we're the smartest people in the room that know their business better than them, because we don't. How could we? We've been there for five seconds. There's no way we could know them as well. We've visited with them enough to understand. I would say the pain points and what they're experiencing and have some general ideas, but it's the curiosity and, and what we get curious about too, because I think that our leaders are always a little bit shocked. We tell them we're going to start with something we call the glow starter and it's a 90 minute, just one-on-one -on -one with them. And we don't talk about the business and it's the first thing that we do. And I think it, stumps everyone a little bit like well what do you mean you're here to you know help transform the business and it's yes that's true but it starts with you and we end up kind of walking back with them a little bit and thinking about who they really are as a person it gives us a lot of insights into who they are at their core that then we end up using 
I would say, indirectly throughout the engagement. And so, but it also is a chance for us to get to know them human to human, because, you know, before we start diving into all the business things, it's important to just have that solid connection, we think. So I would say to those listening, I don't, I can't read everything on LinkedIn, but they're good, they're fun, they're insightful. So definitely... Thanks. Check out all your LinkedIn posts. Oh, those are good. You. I know you have other services and offerings through your company that yeah. we'll talk about, but those were something that really stuck out to me on a continuous basis. Um, so thinking about, so it sounds like looking back, all the roads were kind of leading you here, but maybe nothing stood out or... Uh, no, it wasn't like a, oh, after I'm done with wealth management, I'm going to go build and, you know, we call it an unconsultancy. And so it wasn't really, I mean, I honestly thought I'd be in the industry forever. I mean, now I get to sit on a different side. And, you know, as you can probably imagine, I am still really passionate about the industry because I still think there's so much that we can evolve there. And I think that talk about an industry that's been doing things the same way for a really long time, I still feel like there's a lot to do. And and so the, the same thing, but I feel like now I can do it on an even bigger scale where instead of doing, you know, for one firm, you know, we can have a much bigger impact um, in the, in the space. I mean, we've, the majority of our clients have been in and around professional services and wealth management. So I definitely think there's a gravitational pull because I have a lot of history there and a lot of knowledge. Um, and so that's awesome, but it does extend out to other companies as well, which is fun. And as you have talked about, it's really about transforming the way they're doing the business, let alone less about the actual business in the industry, but transforming the way they do that. Yes. And what what does that look like? Do you like? Is there a good story where to help everybody understand uh, working with you? You came in and this change that you made or yep. that you guys were super proud of, and the the dominoes that you saw from that. Yep. So there's been several instances where the businesses have been in, you know, they've been in business for a long time, you know. 50 years, 100 years, some, I mean, a really, really long time. And new CEOs are, you know, in place, and they're trying to get the lay of the land and figuring out what is expected of them and what the board is ex expecting of them as far as growth and, you know, expectations of returns on investment and things like that. So for us, the transformation is deeply understanding what got them to this place and then understanding where those blocks are and what are we going to do to evolve past them. And I think that it does, it has at least for us resulted in shifting some of the I would say core business offerings or even getting more clear because I mean, as you can imagine something that's been in place for a really long time, there might be things that yes, they do, but maybe they don't do it for as many people anymore or they don't really charge for it as much or, you know, so then it becomes a, well, why do it? And so there's a lot of, I think given the curiosity, you know, when we get into something and we'll be looking at all the different, aspects of the business 
And they just usually download everything, you know, just give us tons and tons and tons of data and documents. And we're going through it. And usually a few things pop up that I find myself saying, this just seems like a very obvious question to ask, but, you know, maybe not. But I think that's where we've been told the outside perspective, because yes, I mean, it seems very obvious to them, but they just keep going with it, right? They're just running the business day to day. But when they pause and answer our questions, it kind of leads us down a different, you know, train of thought or a potential thread to pull on, I think, for their organization to say, oh, I don't, hadn't really thought about that. Maybe we should think about how we do that. Or maybe we should think about, uh, you know, it's usually some kind of process, whether it's part of their client delivery process, or maybe it's part of their business development or growth process. We kind of get involved in all those things. So it's kind of subtle. I would say the transformation is a building thing. It's not like we come in and all of a sudden, you know, they go from black and white to color the way I talk about my life. But I think it's, it's more subtle. It's like, you know, we're, we're peeling back a piece. And then all of a sudden that piece is glowing. And then another piece pops up is like, oh, wow, okay, well, maybe we need to rethink this piece. And so that's where I think the synergy, the the role that we're playing um, is a good word, because they have lots of amazing people on the leadership team and on the management team. There's a lot of people doing a lot of great work. But sometimes, oftentimes, those pieces and parts don't actually work together as well as maybe they could. And it's simply because structurally they're supposed to be doing whatever they're doing every day. And so it's hard for them to come up a level and think about it. And you do it with your strategic planning day, but it's really often kind of hard to think like that when you're so buried in the weeds all the time. And so it's kind of our job to hold those big things and then work in between all the different pieces and parts of the business to make sure that those things actually happen. And so I was really excited to hear, I don't know if you follow Adam Grant at all, but he's very glowy and we love listening to him. And the other day he was on a podcast and he was talking about this role that he's been pounding the table and advocating for all these CEOs to have in their team. And he didn't say chief synergy officer, but his definition was exactly the same. It was a chief collaboration officer. And I was, I, I was on a run and I literally stopped and called my business partner and was like, oh my gosh, did you hear this? And she was listening to it that morning too. It was just really ironic. But I thought, okay, so we're really on to something here. I mean, we see the value when we're in the companies, but you know, to have someone like that, a real thought leader in the space, be advocating for the same position, regardless of title, I thought, okay, this is great. We're on to something here. Yeah, I, I do follow him and somebody else I've met, another woman business owner, I think put me on to him. And I do try to follow his posts and things. So huge leader in yeah. industrial, organizational, yes. psychology, whatever that's outside of my expertise, whatever they call it now. Yes. But as you said, definitely thought leader. And I wrote down from your LinkedIn page, actually, CSO, Chief Synergy Officer. Yeah. Uh, because I thought that's an interesting title. That's, uh, I'm not sure I know exactly what that is. Yeah. But it sounds like it's everything you're talking about. And both from a personal and a business level, I like what you said there as far as needing to pause the whirlwind. So I think about myself as 
mom to three kids, brother three kids, uh, myself and my husband both work, plus just everything else going on. And then in the business too, life, sometimes it's just day to day. I just need to survive today and get to tomorrow. Survive yep. tomorrow and get to the next day. Yep. And you're just on that track for so long that you may even forget why you're on it. Yes. Or is this really serving us anymore? And so it sounds like personally and business-wise, people can use that sort of thought process to pause, pull back. Yep. Does it make, I know it worked up to this point, but does it really make sense to keep going down that path? Or uh, I was just driving from Memphis with my son yesterday and there was a roadblock and so he just wanted to go, 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 go. I'm like, just pause for a second. Yeah. Let's look up the map and let's figure out the best. But it's okay to pull off to the side for a second yeah. and pause. Yeah. It sounds like that might be where you really are able to shake it up and help them pull back to then go further. Right. Yes. Uh, we refer to it as slow down to speed up because it really does feel that way. It And, you know, it's nice to have these moments with the leaders where because of getting really curious and being really ob emotionally objective right i don't have a stake in their business i want them deeply to succeed personally and with their business but if that's my only objective then i can ask questions and listen for the bits of answers that we need in order to help them get through whatever they're blocked or get through whatever is next on the list. And so it's a really, I mean, it's a huge honor to be in that space, I think. And we love being able to play those, you know, play that role with them. And I, I think one of the things that I recognized in the first year is that we were also being, you know, referred to as, well, you know, this is a therapy session or, you know, we, we feel like you're part business consultant and part therapist. And um, I don't know if you watched the show Billions, but um, oftentimes we were referred to as the Wendy on Billions, who was the embedded psychologist for this hedge fund. And um, and so, and there's a lot about that I don't like, but that individual role, yes, that makes sense. But I think that um, in the after the first year of kind of getting this feedback over and over again, and realizing that I'm not, I don't have psychology. I, don't, I mean, I dabble in all of it, but knowing that it would be really powerful for us to bring others in who are experts in, and I'm particularly interested in the neuroscience and how our brain works and our whole physiology and all of that. Um, and so happened to meet a woman who's now our chief glow accelerator and she works with the people one-on-one -on -one. and she's working on rewiring patterns and explaining to them you know where they might personally be blocked that might be leading to some blocks in the company and so that it's a little bit of a chinese wall because i don't want to get into the personal details about the about the leader but i do want to make sure that this work that we're doing on the organizational side, we can give that direct feedback and also listen to feedback that might accelerate our work. And so it's been a really powerful combination to have both the, you know, the organizational transformation side and the personal transformation side. Every, every time we've done it like that, not every client um, has engaged on the individual transformation side, but when it does happen, things happen really much faster. 
it's really powerful. Well, and it's interesting. I looked at your webpage, and I think we talked about this a little bit when we got together in coffee. So not only Glow, the webpage, but also our history, right, of being in accounting, being in financial planning. You've started more than one business. And we're both female. Yep. Challenges or things that you've faced or have have had to overcome, or maybe some things, doors that were open because you were female, that any of those obstacles that looking back you had to were challenges overcome i think um you know thinking back to the early days in public accounting when i just remember starting or being one of the initial members of the women's initiative right because they were trying to acknowledge that what women need are different than men and you know, that seems so silly now to talk about maybe because we've come a long way, not all the way, but close. And, um, but thinking about, was I picked over from time to time because I was a female versus male? Probably. I mean, it didn't really stop me. I just kept going. But the whole women did have to work harder and have to conform to more of the masculine energy in the room than show up as our true authentic selves. That for sure it, um, happened. But you know, you also didn't really know any different, or I didn't feel like I knew any different. I was just, you know, gonna, I was just going to win. I was gonna work harder, you know, show people what I could do. And, you know, hopefully it all worked out. Definitely had some bumps along the road with um, some discrimination and, you know, whether it was age or gender or whatever. I mean, lots of that. But, you know, again, you just kind of keep going. And now I think our work does um, acknowledge that people do have biases and we all do and things like that. But how do we how do we do better? How do we learn? How do we how do we get curious? How do we expand our thinking and how do we do better for the humans that are in our businesses so that they can have their best life and we can still accomplish our business objectives. And so I feel like kind of taking all of those experiences and just having compassion for it and and just getting curious on how can we do better has been a big piece. We, we talked a little bit about maybe the being a mom and the female more emotional sensitivity. Yeah. That, that bring, what you bring to those companies then maybe is a little plus yes coming from the female side i mean it was kind of interesting i think our it wasn't until last year that we had our first female ceo hire us it was all men hiring us and i definitely feel like that is it's been a balance you know where we do you know our clients have all said we feel different we you know they feel different working with us and that's a huge compliment because I think part of it comes back to the energy that we bring into the room and not trying to show a PowerPoint immediately about here's all the things and I'm so smart. I know exactly what's wrong with your company and the three things that we can do to fix it. That's not our approach. And so we do identify those things, but we're also there to help make sure that we fix them. Identifying it is just step one. Then you've got 10 other steps that need to happen in order for you to actually, you know, 
fix the problem. Um, but I, I do think there that has been a benefit for us. But, you know, we also feel like we're showing up pretty balanced between, you know, our business acumen and our ability to be, I would say, gentle and firm at the same time. Um, and also have that massive amount of compassion, you know, be emotionally objective and supportive for whatever the reason is why there's something stuck kind of doesn't matter. I mean, there might be elements that we want to understand better so that we don't put something in place that yields that same result, but it's just coming with a massive amount of compassion. And so when we think about the E in energy for the E at the end of glow, um, it was always about how do we rebalance the masculine and feminine energy, not gender, but the masculine and feminine energy in businesses, because the business uh, structure and the operations have been so masculine energy dominant, right? Very logical, very structured, you know, non-emotional, those types of things. And so, but now we've got a, the largest piece of our workers um currently the, the millennials and the Gen Z's, they want more out of their employers. They want more out of work. If they're going to invest the time, they want to feel connected. They want to feel engaged. They want to feel seen and heard and all of those things. And those have not tended to be things that businesses have focused on. I mean, because if you can't structure your way into something that's scalable, you know, tends to kind of go by the wayside. But I but I think this whole human element is um, causing a lot of leaders a lot of pain because they just don't understand how to blend those things. It's probably intangible, right? The the It feels that way, yes. Mm-hmm. And how do I quantify yes. the masculine side of things? How do I quantify, yep. this is how my brain would work too, how do I quantify uh, adding those layers in and totally. the success or the bonus it brings to the um the business yeah exactly and i think it's when we can balance both pieces is when we really start to see we i mean in our language we start to see the companies glow but i think that it feels different for people you know when you are on a leadership team and things have been rewired where you can actually say what's on your mind you actually are heard you actually are seen it's a game changer for people and it seems like that might seem so basic but i mean we keep running into these leadership teams where the communication is not what people think it is and fixing and focusing on that piece gets into you know why people feel a certain way um, what is the actual communication that's either happening or not happening as the case might be? And then how do you, I mean, part of communication is listening too, right? It's not just what's said, it's what's heard. And so it becomes complicated really, really fast, even if we just start with the leadership team. Um, but that's the work we love to do. Do you think, I see that too. Do you think part of it is the generation's you know, I think about how when I grew up, and it's so funny because the podcast we recorded earlier today, I mentioned this a little bit, but as a kid, it was more about don't talk back. It's, you know, the parents tell you what to do, when to do, so do your teachers, yes. everything. And it was more of that, just be happier. 
Yeah. So you have a house and yeah. a roof and you're right. part of this family. Yeah. Versus now I know my husband and I, our approaches to a certain degree to try to include them in conversation. And here's what we're trying to create as a family. Right. Just a different, uh, do you think that generational difference in how people were raised or is leading, feeding a lot of that? Oh, for sure. Definitely. I mean, those are the patterns, right? That's what you come up learning. And so your brain takes it as a pattern, like this is just the way that it is. And then you get to a place where maybe you start to question. And it's okay, it's not wrong that that we were raised that way. But we get to a certain point in our adult lives where we can say, huh, well, maybe, maybe that's not the way I want to be. And so the but it's having that awareness that you want to, or even that pause to say, oh, wait a second. I actually don't want my kids to just be seen and not heard and, you know, things like that. And so, but you're the parent now, so you get to choose. And it's the same in business, you know. I, I don't I don't like to see leaders just burning themselves out over and over and over because they think they just have to hustle all the time. I'm all for the hustle. I hustle. But I also recognize that I need to be focused on what is most important and hustle to that. And that means you don't have to do absolutely everything. And um, I do think that there's a lot of people in our generation that don't understand how to get off that hamster wheel and, and actually feel that they can say no to things and have that be okay. Not, I mean, not even just okay, that it can be a real accelerant to getting them what they really, really want. But the question is, do they know what they really, really want? I don't know. Yeah, and they may not. I, I think something you had written that I underlined. First, let me go back to, you mentioned glow with an E, mm-hmm. and that's the energy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it. I just thought, I got to know more. <laughs> how glow came about in the e because uh, to be honest i questioned that for a while i'm like well with an e that's interesting yeah and you threw it out yep. there how did you guys come up with that name what does it stand for so it was kind of um when i started writing down you know what i was feeling businesses were needing and i mean i would say it was a business plan but it was all in my journal so it wasn't really a formal business plan kind of thing but um th- i just kept writing in cursive the word glow and it always had an e at the end and i was i kept thinking about how it's the energy that's really important in a company right because and you know and and i think a lot of people would call that culture but it's a little bit i guess deeper than that because when people are genuinely happy at what they're doing and who they work for, and they understand why they're there, then they are they are glowing. They're more productive. They're happier. They're more engaged. All of those buzzwords right now. Um, and it just felt to me like this visual. I just kept having this visual of a neon sign um, that, you know, neon signs are made of these particles of energy right and so when what happens when a neon sign you like you drive down and you see that one of the letters is out right so the rest of the the energy in that sign is trying really hard to make the whole thing glow right but in a company that's the same way and i've been in companies before where 
you know, maybe my energy was really, really high and a couple of other people's energy was really high, but if not everybody's energy was high, it was harder. It was much harder to do business. And you've kind of felt like you were trying to pull people and like, really, we really want to do this. But um, what would what would the results be of a company if more people were glowing, if more people were happy, if more people were aligned and doing what they've meant, they're meant to be doing? And what would what would the re- impact be on not just the company, but the individuals, if we could foster a culture that was, you know, helping people glow? And so, I mean, that was really, I mean, that sounds so basic, but that was, I mean, it was this felt and visual thing of what if we could make more people glow? I love the neon sign. I think a lot of people use the analogy of have the right people on the bus, you know, everybody rowing in the same direction. But to me, when you mentioned the neon sign, it makes a lot of sense because if if one piece is missing or not aligned well, the rest has to work harder yep. to keep that energy and that vibe flowing yep. Yep. to just make up for that that missing piece until it's fixed or aligned or right. the right piece is yeah. filled into that slot. So yeah. to me, that's, and I'm a very uh, analytical thinker. Yeah. <laughs> so having that picture is very oh, helpful to me. That's great. <laughs> very helpful. And and I've seen it, right? And I've, I've tried to tell people, even with where I work, Manetta, they're like, oh, it's a great company. And I said, it's almost like a relationship. I mean, we're here. I was just listening right. to something this morning. We're here more. You're at your work more than you're any other place. Right. You know, your other work or your other hours are split between different things. And so it's really a relationship and there's pieces to that puzzle. And if if I think about a relationship prior to my husband, neither of one of us was bad. Right. We just weren't the right fit. Our energies yes. and passions and yes. what drove us weren't in sync. Exactly. And so it wouldn't work. Right. And same with you know, me working at Mineta or other people or places, yep. it's just, it's okay. It just might not be the right fit. So let's right. go in and figure out, is there some coaching there or is it truly finding yeah, exactly. different people or a different place? Exactly. I always liken it to when I was in auditing for a hot minute, like not even very long, because I went after days, you know, looking at microfiche and filling out work papers. That's how old I am. But, and going to my partner and saying, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. I am a, I am a people person. He's like, well, once you become a manager, senior manager, you know, you'll be able to interact with the people. I'm like, nope, I can't wait that long. I, I just, I need to do something that interacts with people. And so I think a lot of people feel like they have to keep their head down and just wait for a certain thing. And I think there's elements of that, but not to the extreme, I think, that we've experienced in the past. I I think that we're learning that it's a balance between understanding what people's gifts and talents really are and how do we leverage those in a company more. Because if we can do more of what naturally energizes people, it doesn't feel like work to them. And you get a much better outcome as a result. And so... I think that, you know, keeping people down for the sake of just keeping people down is not a good strategy 
in business anymore. So it kind of goes on both sides. It's the leaders recognizing that we just need to kind of come back to basics and figure out what do we need in order to achieve our business results? Like what skills, what gifts, what talents, what people do we need? And then go out and find those versus just a rote, you know, black and white job description that might not give the color of what you really need in that role. And so we do a lot around job descriptions and everything because we keep getting told, well, this person doesn't really exist. So why would I put it down? I'm like, well, if you don't put it down, guess what? They're never going to find you. And so if we're just really forthright, as opposed to searching for a title, you're actually searching for a person. So what do you want? What will make that role there, that person really successful? And what will you feel really excited about if that person comes in and let's write for that. Let's not just take, you know, chat GPT's job description for a CFO and, you know, and put that down. It's almost, it's more of that mutual beneficial relationship. So what does the company really want in that person? Find that person and together they're better and stronger. Totally. Something I know what I meant to write down, I did what you were talking about earlier about leaders and helping them adjust. I feel like a lot of leaders are told along the way, maybe this is why they got to be a leader, they had all the right answers or they had all the answers. And so the ability to say, I don't have to have all the right answers. In fact, that's why I have all of you in your areas of expertise to help fill in. So the pie, the picture is better by having all these different energies, personalities and knowledge coming together. Yes. I think one of the other things that we've talked to a lot of leaders about is this word accountability. It's kind of, uh, I think people's anxiety goes up when we bring it up. And I, what I've witnessed is that these leaders want accountability in the organization, but they think these people are smart, they're self-starters, they should just know, they should just do it. And that's where I we get disconnected. I'm because I I listen and I'm, I hear what you're saying, and they are really strong, smart, driven, no question about it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on your team, right? But if we're not clear with them on what accountability actually looks like, then how how are either one of you going to know that it's successful? So it kind of always comes back to communication and you know, whether that whether we use KPIs, or, you know, whatever the different structure is that works, communicating it, and then following through on it is really important. Because I think that you that many of us, and I put myself in this camp, you never want to be the bad guy, right? When you get down to bonus time, and you're looking at things, and, you know, maybe some people didn't achieve all the things they said they were going to achieve, but we really needed them to achieve it. You know, are you really going to hold back their bonus? Or, you know, that doesn't feel good for a leader. And so there's all kinds of things that I think get in the way of real accountability. But again, back to your, if it's a mutual partnership and everyone knows like, hey, this is my role. I'm playing this role on the team. I might not be the CEO, but I'm playing this role and it's to achieve these outcomes. And here's what I need to do for me or my team for us to be successful as a company. They should want to be 
rewarded or not rewarded as a result of their actions. I mean, I just think that's a human thing, right? We want to be, it's not the everybody gets a trophy thing anymore, (laughs) which I think we're finally done with generationally. But, you know, I think that's, I think that's part of it, right? Is you want to, you want to be recognized for doing a good job when you do a good job, but you also recognize that sometimes if you fall short, then that's just the way it goes. And it wasn't that somebody's being mean, it's just the way that it is, right? I think it's that clarity. So super clear early on versus I, sometimes I think about a moving dartboard where it's yes. like, I don't know what direction. And after a while, right. that's tiring. It's exhausting. Like you want me to go where Think now? about the waste of energy just right there, wondering or the fear or the, you know, I don't know what this person really wants. So I'm going to guess and I hope I'm right. But what if I'm not right? Then I have to go back and start over again versus just getting clear at the beginning and and discussing along the way the that story you mentioned of okay bonus time i didn't get my bonus well it's going to be a lot easier to take if you're communicating along the way what's the status what are our obstacles and why how do we do you need help getting beyond that do we bake that into the plan or is it something new we need to bake in all of those things that difficult conversations yeah. can be a little bit less difficult <laughs> yes. Yes. doing it the, the couple of the ways exactly. that we talked about. Yeah. Difficult conversations are something that I think we tend to shy away from. You know, it's not fun. So you kind of put it off, put it off, put it off. And then what happens, you know, when you put something off that, I mean, ultimately, it's going to come back, right? And so I feel like that's where we do, we're big supporters and coaches for hard conversations and just helping them happen, which is, they don't have to be done perfectly, but they do have to be communicated, right? And um, and those, you know, getting people ready for it, you know, we <laughs> always tell people like, you're not gonna go from five meetings directly into a hard conversation meeting. That's not a good strategy. So if we're going to have the meeting, then how do we block some time for you to take a breath, go on a walk, get reset, let's have a quick call, let's just remind ourselves what we're doing, let's take, you know, take the emotion, try to take some emotions out of it and walk through what needs to be said again. That preparation piece, even it can even if it's only 10 minutes, can make that hard conversation a lot easier. Usually it's harder in our head than we think. Don't I mean, I'm sure you've experienced that. I think so. We make it bigger. And I think it goes back to, which is often why we don't do it, because we make it out to be bigger. Right. It goes even back also to the curiosity of this project didn't come to fruition, and maybe I think I know why. Yes. But hold up. Let's go into this saying, this didn't come out like we talked about. Can you help me understand why? Yeah. And I think that helps bring down that explosive potential explosive energy yeah. to say well you didn't do this Why didn't right I? I know everything about right. what was going on and it's a better back and forth co- uh, yep. communication yep what we know and what we think we know are often <laughs> two different things <laughs> definitely and then there's like a third point of view where it's really what yes happened yes yes um you through that and a lot of the pieces that we talked about and i think this was probably your evolution in getting to glow you talked about the awareness of people getting off the hamster wheel, people being able to be a leader, bless, be happy. And I think you had that in your own journey. I did. Of maybe living how others, how you felt others 
thought you should, told you? And how did you, I think the way you mentioned it was the process of figuring out who you were and then trying to align things, experiences, people around that. Right. It also seems like what you went through is what a lot of people you're helping are going through and personally me too. More color around that, just what was it like to listen to other people to not be true to yourself if you even knew who yourself was? I don't think I did. I mean, I think that I'd been in successive personal and business relationships where um, I was always wanting to please and achieve or help others achieve. And as a result, I just lost myself. And so I think that, you know, pr- the the first big move in my journey was um, realizing that I was in a abusive relationship in my marriage that was really like, talk about dimming my light. I mean, I was, you would think from the outside, you know, I was, you know, I had the title and the kids and the house and the, you know, all the things and was on all the charity boards and really involved and, you know, smiling all the time. But then I would go home and I wouldn't be like, I just didn't feel happy. I mean, I was doing all these great things, but I just didn't feel happy. And so I think getting, having that realization that I'd lost myself so much that others were kind of controlling almost like kind of one of those puppets, you know, I felt like other people were really controlling. Um, And I was choosing to stay in that. So I will say, I, I mean, I take full responsibility for, I was choosing to stay in the relationships that weren't serving and, you know, doing all the things that weren't serving, but I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know there was an alternative. And so um, that wasn't the reason for the divorce to find myself. The, the reason for the divorce was to get out of an unhealthy situation. So, but that started the path for me of like, okay, well, if I'm not going to be, if I'm not going to be that person, then who am I going to be? And what does that look like? And then here I am with three young kids and not knowing what it's like to be a single mom. And, you know, so you kind of go through this identity crisis. Um, I went through it anyway at a very young-ish age, 38. And so, um, but I think it was that, that was what started the journey to myself. And then as I started to figure that out, then it was like, oh, wait a minute. I... I, these these are the things I really, really like to do, but other people are trying to make me stay in this box. And I was like, I don't want to stay in that box. I don't want to do those things. And it wasn't that, you know, there's always things that you have to do that you don't absolutely love, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like major portions of my time at work that were being spent on things. And I'm like, this really isn't me. Like there's other people who could do this way better and enjoy it. But I felt like I had to because of a certain title or role or whatever. And it was just like, no, this is crazy. So I think emerging even farther from like my personal alignment to who I am as a mom, who I am as Whitney, you know, who I am um, outside of work, then it just naturally had to creep into, 
you know, well, to your point, we spend so much time at work. And so um, that led me to being able to say, no, I know what I'm really, really strong and good at, and I want to do more of that. And so, you know, it, it definitely was a build up to having the, the courage to saying, oh, I'm going to start something new. I mean, it was almost this, I would say, I would have told you if we would have talked five or six years ago, I would have said, I'm not a risk taker. You know, I'm just, just that risk is not a thing for me. And then we would have talked again and you would have said, oh, well, isn't leaving your job and starting a new company risky? And I never felt that way. I mean, I did. I mean, I planned, obviously, for, okay, here's all the different levers and things. But on the other hand, it just, glow just was so much of a inner thing that I knew that I couldn't not do it. And I just had to, I just had to do it. And so it wasn't even, it didn't even feel like a conscious choice, which sounds weird. Like, but in hindsight, it's only been two and a half years or almost three, but it didn't seem like this big, I'm going to go jump off this cliff. It just seemed like I have to do this kind of thing. And it it sounds like some of the things you talked about really, what'd you say, slow down to speed up? Yeah. You said before. So you took that moment to slow down and say, whoa, 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 whoa. what drives me? What do I get excited about? Yep. Underneath when when Whitney, I like to, I forget who wrote it, but the best version of yourself. Yes. What's your zone of genius? Yes. And figuring out what is that layer underneath it all? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter kind of what's on top, but for me, it's helping people. I always wanted to help people make a difference in people's yeah. lives. I want to have a smile on my face. I want to laugh. I want to joke. I want to get compliments. I just, I want to be authentically me. I want to learn and grow all the time. I really liked getting straight A's. Um, <laughs> so that excelling. And I, it took me till probably 44, age 44, yep. to figure that out mm-hmm. and then build everything around that. Let yep. me that be my foundation. Yeah. And the courage then to try something new or, or the, to set the boundaries to say, yeah. nope, I'm going to stay true to myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if once you have something to align to, then you can start making choices mm-hmm. and it seems less scary. Because if it's if if once you have a solid understanding of who you really are and what you want out of life and out from yourself, then making small choices that are all in alignment, um, it doesn't seem like big leaps. It's just like, oh, well, I'm just tweaking this because this no longer serves me. I'm gonna you know focus more time on that or whatever. So I think that's part of it, and and we do see that a lot with people that they haven't been able to articulate purpose or, you know, whatever is most important to them. So we help them figure that out along the way. So it's fun. I think both in business and personally, because I know I've gone through this, a lot of people who are listening are probably going to say, wait a minute, I'm going through that same thing. Or I know somebody who's going through that same thing. I'm stuck as I can't remember. I think you might have written down, yes. or maybe it was the podcast this morning. A lot of them overlap. I'm stuck. Yep. What do I do? How do I figure this out? I mean, it's hard to do it alone. That's the only thing I'll say. I think we're our own worst enemies on our beliefs and our, you know, our brains are here to help us stay safe. And so what our brains know is what we've experienced in the past. And so it might feel safe to our brains. And so whenever we try to 
think differently or want to explore something, um, it's really hard to overcome our brain who's like, wait, what? You're going to go start a business? You're crazy. You know, that's not going to happen. Or what if you fail or all those different things. And so I would say it's really, really hard to do this alone. I did not do it alone. I had a lot of different teacher, teachers, mentors, coaches, you know, people to help me with different aspects. And I think that's one of the big reasons why we want to be here to help support people glow. I mean, at one point, we had a tagline on our website, you know, we're here to help, we're here here to help you glow. I mean, that's really the, the basis of it, right? We want the more people and the more businesses that we can help glow. I mean, that's just, we feel like that's our contribution to the world. I, a lot of what we hear about out there for coaching, I mean, best athletes in the world have a many different coaches right so why would we not have our own coaches or somebody to help pull that out of us yeah the brain keeps us safe you know from human nature early on to is that thing going to kill me or not going to kill me they it has you know it's been structured generation generation to keep us safe yep and the whole idea of you know is failures let's not look at it as being bad let's look at it as a learning opportunity right. and the next step to whatever direction so we need some of that yeah and in order to do that we have to get outside of our comfort zone which yep. uh for again my personality type and my age that's scary but the times that i appreciate or learn the most in my life it's been getting outside my comfort zone right definitely definitely and having those along the way to cheer you or maybe just push you a little yeah. bit more <laughs> yeah Exactly. I mean, I do think outside perspectives are really important because, you know, we can live inside our own head and try to fix ourselves. And, you know, you can get a lot of inspiration from books and podcasts and other things. And I certainly did and do all the time. But it's the action piece, you know, and habits don't die easy or change easy. So, you know, what support is needed for each person? And I think really the one of the main reasons why we wa- I wanted to start glow in addition to what I've already said is that I really do feel like we want to be there we want to be there to identify what can help them glow but then we also want to help them glow like I don't want to walk away at the beginning after we've identified all these great things that could change I mean one could say well, that would be a better business model because it'd be much easier to and you know to just go in, do the beginning, and walk away. But that's not that's not who I am. I'm in there for the mess. We're in there to help really make those changes happen. That's how we were with the families, and this is how I want to be with businesses. And I I don't know too many people who are willing to stay in the thick of it and have all the hard conversations and you know just kind of be there through it all in order to get to the globe. But that's to your point, to your solid point, getting, you know, getting, you don't get the growth without going through the stuff. You don't get the growth with with staying comfortable. So, you know, the leaders who are hiring us aren't wanting to stay comfortable. They recognize that they want to make a change and they may not realize sometimes how hard it is, but, you know, but we're here for it. And that's what we love to do. It's funny, before you kind of transitioned to that, I was thinking as you were talking that Glow, you really are the facilitator. You come in and you're going to you're gonna challenge, you're going to push them, you're going to 
you know, expose those pain points, but you're going to facilitate them through yeah. the whole journey. It's I was telling my son this weekend, it's one thing to come up with an idea. Everybody can come up with lots of ideas. It's those that work through the pain of executing and taking it somewhere that find the payoff. Right. And it sounds like you're the the solution all the way through because, again, it comes back to that's who I am yes. and who I want to be. And you've built your business around that. And I'm sure the people that you work with feel that. Right. That it's driven internally from that desire, not, again, well, we're in here for a little bit. We'll see you. Let us right. know how it works out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the opposite of what we want to be. So. So as you're that facilitator and execution yes. on the whole project, yep. who are the people you work with? How do you find them? So it's been our network. I mean, largely my network and the people that um, have come in contact with others that know me. And so, you know, that's that's been working fine for now. But obviously, we're doing a lot more to get the word out as Glow as a alternative to perhaps another type of consultant that they would otherwise hire. Um, and we're, we've got a broad range of clients now. So now we have clients um, referring us into other of their friends' businesses. So yeah, so it's kind of a grassroots effort still. So the unconsultancy that you do with clients since the start of the yes. company, who are they? Explain them. Where do they come from? So oddly, um, our first couple of clients were one was in Portland and one was in Chicago. And so not here locally in St. Louis. It took us a minute to get a client in St. Louis. But I kind of love that, too, because it's a testament to the network. I mean, we've had enough people who we've met and engaged with that, you know, we're like, yes, I want this right now. And now we've got, because we've been working with clients all over, we have little pockets of advocates all around the country. And so while it's it starts with my network, it's now kind of expanding to our clients and their network and they're becoming huge advocates for us. But I love that we're able to do this kind of wherever and not just be, I mean, we do now have several clients in St. Louis, but I like that we can reach beyond and create more of this, you know, hopefully eventually a global network of Glow clients, but right now we're just all across the U.S. Well, maybe I'll amend a comment or a, a famous quote, if you build it, they will come. Maybe it's if you build it right, they will come. That's true. It sounds like that's what you're doing here. Yeah, I hope so. So is there a region, a place, industry, anything that resonates more with what you're doing that's ahead of the game in this area? Um, we haven't seen, I mean, we've been on both coasts and everywhere in between, or not everywhere, but many places in between. And I think it's more the type of leader. I think it's the type of leader that um, has probably been wanting to evolve themselves, or maybe they've already explored some kind of transformation on their own personally, and they're wanting to bring that into the work. Or maybe they're just, you know, huge followers of Adam Grant and Brene Brown and Simon Sinek and all these people. And, you know, little did they know there's someone else, you know, that can help them besides, besides those thought leaders in the industry. So, but I, I think it's more what we're seeing is that it's the mindset of the leader that they just 
don't want the same old, same old, and they do want something different because everyone who comes to us, the consistent uh, reaction after the first couple of meetings is it just feels different. I feel different talking to you or a lot of people will say to me, I feel like I've said more to you in the last hour than I've said to anyone else, you know, or no one's ever asked me the questions that you've asked me. We get that repeatedly as well. And I I take that as a huge compliment because, again, it's back to the curiosity thing. And I am always just so curious to talk to other leaders about how they're, you know, how they're running their business and thinking about their business. Even if they don't hire Glow, I'm always coming at it from that place of curiosity. So I think it goes more to the leader than to the region of the country, at least for now. So when you think of the relationships that work and the ones that you don't engage with, what's the difference? What are the, what's the setting for the ideal clients to really help? And what are some triggers where you're like, that's not gonna work? Yeah, I think the clients that want to work with us know that this is a non-linear process. So the ones that will say, um, send me your one pager with your delivers del- deliverables in your ROI, probably not going to hire Glow. And it's not because we, we don't deliver significant outcomes. It's just, it's a nonlinear path it, every time. I mean, we have our process. I mentioned the glow starters. We do do the business deep dive, and then we identify some areas that were either consistent or inconsistent with what the CEO came to us with initially. And then we get to work. I mean, it's a, as I've mentioned, it's a collaborative process with many members of the team. Um, but we're kind of there to, to hold those um, initiatives or those blocks as challenges. And we're there to help them get through it. And so um, for the people who want a linear path, and don't want to be, and are not willing to open up and be vulnerable about what I'll call the real issues are, then if we can't, if we can't go beneath the surface in the like beginning conversation, chances are we're not going to be a good fit. I mean, we're, we're a good fit for the leaders who really know that they want things to change and they're willing to try a different method just than, you know, a book that was written with some process in it to lead them through it. So we pull from all kinds of places. So it's just a different path. So you find that ideal client, and you mentioned a couple of things, Glow Starter. What what does that process look like when they work with you? Yeah, so we start with our Glow Starter, which is the one-on-ones with a couple of the leaders. I mean, our, the, the primary leaders of the business that um, are who we start with. And then we do go into that business deep dive as well. So we basically ask for a lot of different things and we end up talking to everyone on the management team, um, maybe a couple of other key people as part of that as well. And then between those two things, I think we've got a pretty good read of the organization and the people and the ethos. And we will then basically come back with a, okay, here's what I feel like your real ethos is of your company, you know, call it their DNA of their company. So that oftentimes includes like, this is what we've heard your vision is. 
it's usually very different than the well-crafted, wordsmithed vision, mission, and values that they've had before. Um, but it's it rhymes usually, but it's basically like the real, real, and not as focused on how beautifully worded it might be, but like a, you know, do we have this right? We call that a mirror meeting, where we're basically just holding back our observations of who they are as a company and where they're going. And then we establish, you know, what are the key blocks? What's stopping you from getting there? And what do we need to accomplish? And then we just get to work on those things. So seems basic, but it's actually <laughs> pretty complicated. I think some of the simplest things or what appears to be simple on the surface yeah. often is the hardest to yes. go through for many things that you talked about, uh, clarity, communication, accountability, disrupting. You got it. When you have to yeah. go in the, into those pools, yes, it gets a lot deeper. Right, right. Well, and we're dealing with humans, right? I mean, if it was, if I have one more leader tell me, you know, this business would be so easy if it wasn't for the humans. And I think, yes, but the reality is you need the humans in order to, to make your business work. So, you know, we have to get, we have to get into the mess of the, you know, the human relationships and the psyche and all of those things in order to really affect the change. And after a while, wouldn't it get boring uh, right. if everything was the same? Yeah, Exactly. We're not robots yet. So <laughs> what's the do you, is there something that stands out as the biggest transformation that you've seen when you've seen uh, from start to finish? Oh, gosh, we've seen so many different ones. Um, I think thematically, I love I love when we get to the mirror meeting. And that's probably consistently my favorite part, I think when we get to the mirror meeting and we're presenting back to them who they are and where they're going and what they really stand for, when we get to that and have the leaders look at us and say, that is exactly it. And it's so unbelievably, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it just, makes my heart feel so great because it's not about it's not about the perfectly structured or anything it's just simply this is this who you really are do we have this right because if we do then that's great then we can move on to the next step and so um we've just had all these moments we had one ceo say she's been trying to figure this out for three years and we did it in six hours wow. and and she told her board and she told, I mean, she's been a huge advocate, but she said, you know, I, I'm just so grateful because it's taken it. I've literally been working on this for years and you nailed it in a day. What did you do that she couldn't? Asked really hard questions and didn't, we don't let people off the hook with the easy answer. I mean, and, and I, and that sounds like it might, be, you know, we're going in to like really dig on them or something. And that's not our approach at all. But, you know, for some people, we need to say that. I mean, that sounds like a thing. But is that really what you mean? Is that really I mean, you'd be happy with that for real? Or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but we often say we'll go five layers deeper than the first, you know, than the first answer, because sometimes it just doesn't hit right. 
and we know when it hits right, you know, because you can tell how they're saying something. If it's a, this is what I'm supposed to say, or this is what I feel like I should say. It's my most hated word, should. Um, once we can get past the shoulds and get, then we get to real. The, and then, I mean, then we just really start, start glowing. I like that. Let's get past the shoulds and get to the real. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what a better relationships and conversations, interactions, right? And day to day, would we have if we get past the shoulda, woulda, coulda? Exactly. And get to the real. Exactly. And there's consequences to getting past the shoulds, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, maybe you need to go have a hard conversation or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, again, if we're all shooting for this now established real, real goal, then. We need to decide, you know, how important is it to get there? And if this thing is standing in the way, is it more important than reaching the goal? You know, because a lot of times people think they can go around it or just not have it or whatever. And it's like, no, but what happens if we just go through it? Like, let's talk about it. So all those hard conversations are just kind of part of the deal. Yeah, play that out. What's the worst yep. possible that could happen yep. if we go through? What's the best possible? Exactly. And we won't know yes. until we try it. Yes. So if you want to try it, yes. that's a great segue. That's a great I'm pretty segue. proud of myself. <laughs> if you want to try it, if you are stuck, yeah. if the company's stuck, if uh, you just need a facilitator to come in and ask those questions, get to the deep levels, yep. break through it all yep. and bring it back together yep. uh, in something that makes sense then working with you, your team, would be perfect. So how do they find you? Not only, I want to bring up your newsletter, because you have the yes. newsletter. Yes. LinkedIn, I already yes. mentioned, you have some great posts out there. Yeah. And how do they, what's the best way to find you and get in contact with you? So probably through our website or message me directly through LinkedIn. I'll, I'll always return people's messages. Um, but our website is www glow with an e connective.com and um there's a link in there to send us an email if you are interested but feel free to contact me directly through linkedin i'm out there and i will say just recently uh, i went on to your website to con uh, to contact you connect with you and i saw where to sign up for the newsletter so yes. i signed up for myself so oh, great uh awesome. i should get start getting those soon yes speak more about every it, wednesday um we it's just meant to be a little spark of the week nothing heavy um something usually that i'm thinking of or been visiting with people about that connected for me um that i want to share and sometimes personal sometimes it's business but usually those two things are always related and um yeah, would love to have more people sign up for the newsletter just to hear how we think. This is probably corny, but I'm pretty good at being corny. But it's just a little more glow. It's passing yes. along the glow. That's right. Exactly. So I'll end it being corny. I love that. Corny. So thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming and sharing today. So many good uh, tidbit stories and ways to personally and professionally, I think, break through yeah. what you talked about and be a better version of ourselves. Yeah. Thank so you. Thank you thanks for having me. This concludes another episode of the She Lift Project podcast. To hear more episodes of the show, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more about our mission of helping women reach higher levels of success, visit sheliftproject.com and sign up to receive the latest news, ebooks, videos, and more.